Welcome back to another episode of Sketch Nerds, brought to you by Bad Medicine, DC's best sketch comedy about the worst of humanity. Here on Sketch Nerds, we break down sketch comedy. What works, what doesn't work, what we like, what we don't like, and why. Today, we're going to be discussing sketches from The Daily Show and The Groundlings. You can find information about this podcast, as well as the sketches we are discussing, at badmedicinecomedy.com slash sketchnerds. Joining me, as always, are Seth Alcorn and Julian Morgan. I'm Andy Weld, and today we have recurring guest and occasional host, Shoa Appleman. Shoa, how are you? Good. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Good. I'm glad you're excited. Now, Shoa, I understand you were recently involved in uh, the Women in Comedy Festival, sponsored by HBO up in Boston. Can you tell us a little bit about what you were doing up there? Yes, absolutely. So the Women in Comedy Festival is this great festival full of workshops and sketches and stand-up comedians that feature talented women. They also had a film festival, and um, two Bad Medicine sketches got into their film festival. One was a First Female Bank Robber, which is something I wrote and produced, and also Brazil Nut, which is um, a fun sketch from Bad Medicine as well. And so we got to see those sketches up on the big screen in a packed theater, and um, we got to hear audience reactions to it live, and it was just an amazing experience. And how was the audience reaction to those sketches? Oh, it was great. They laughed. And so (laughs) as a sketch writer, it's your biggest fear. I know my heart was just thumping like nonstop um, right before, as, as soon as I saw it come on. It was just beating, and I froze up, and I was just so nervous that nobody would laugh. And then, fortunately, laughs came from the back of the theater, and I specify that because my friends were in the front of the theater. (laughs) (laughs) So I was over the moon that strangers were laughing. And so, yeah, so everyone was really supportive. Brazil Nut also got great laughs, and it just felt wonderful all around to be validated for comedy, but also to just see such talent out there. So we saw a lot of great sketches that day. There was this one wonderful... Uh, you know, it's a, it was a film, a short film, and it was just about a little girl who likes drawing vaginas everywhere. So it took the, the classic theme of penises everywhere, and it was just vaginas everywhere, and it was so brilliantly executed. Um, but overall, it was just great. There's there a plethora of talent, and this festival highlighted um, talented women, and that was just so nice to see and laugh at. So it was just great. That's awesome. Awesome. That's awesome. All right, and Shoa, you have uh, brought our first sketch today. Yes, I would like to talk about the sketch Shafted, um, Marion Donovan's Trailblazing Diapers. And this is a sketch by Desi Lydic and Dolce Sloan that was featured on The Daily Show um, with Trevor Noah recently as part of Women's History Month. And it's um, part of a recurring bit that month that highlighted women who had done important things in history and were ignored. And so um, they take a humorous bent to it and recap these true stories. But just, you know, because it's so sad, it's also funny. And visually, there are a lot of jokes as well. Awesome. Here's a clip. In 1946, Marion was a housewife in the small town of Westport, Connecticut. Being home and raising children, Marion got fed up with all the shit in her life. Ugh. Why is there so much shit everywhere? Why? At the time, people were using cloth diapers, and the only solution for leaks were uncomfortable rubber pants that gave baby's diaper rash. 
so no one wanted to wear rubbers, even though they were the most effective method. All right, Shoa, why did you bring this sketch today? I am a huge Daily Show fan, so I've been watching it since I was a kid, and I think we all have experiences or something that first turned us on to comedy and got us really excited about it. And mine was The Daily Show. So back in 1996, I was was young, and I just sat in front of the computer, and I—sorry, not the computer, the television— Whoa. That's what the kids you are calling it these watch days. You could comedy on a computer in 1996. Exactly. No, it was a big tube TV. I remember it. And um, so I'd watch it, and I just I loved it so much, this notion of comedy news. And actually, The Daily Show was originally developed by two women. Uh, Liz Winston, Winstead and Madeline Smith, Smithberg were the original creators of The Daily Show. And Craig Kilborn was the first host. And I was watching it when Craig Kilborn was the host. Mm-hmm. And um, they, Liz and Madeline's vision for it was to be very news-oriented and for it to be something that shares the news and also has a comedy bent. The hosts have always been male, but I just love this sketch because it kind of, I felt like it brings it back to like women's historical involvement in all sorts of different parts of our lives that we don't know about. I was actually surprised to find out two women had created The Daily Show. Very yeah. true. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. had no idea. News to me. Let's talk about the structure of the sketch a little bit first. One of the things I really enjoyed was the two narrators. And Shoa, as a writer, can you talk about the way that having two narrators adds to this sketch? That's a great question. So it's not just two narrators. It's two narrators who are very diverse. The first one is a thin, white female. And then the second one is a little heavier African-American female. And so visually, they're very diverse, but also perspectives. They make it clear that they bring different perspectives to the table. Their histories are different. And so giving them both a voice just brings together the aspect of like, this is women working together. Um, We all have these shared experiences. And then they also have good different ways of delivering it. So in addition to being narrators, they're also the actors in the actual reenactments. And so they rotate between playing different male parts and the different female parts. And so visually, it keeps it engaging, the differences. And then also, from an audio standpoint, you don't get bored, too. So when you're creating something, whether it's for comedy or not for comedy, it's always one trick to to make it more engaging is to add in additional narrators. So um, it it had multiple benefits to the sketch. Yeah, and I also like the kind of the the bullet style, like a bullet point style uh, narration of it because it keeps it's like it's almost like stand up where it's like the part where uh, they're talking they're narrating is the setup and then we see the action in the sketch and so and that that's the punchline I thought that was really interesting because because I've, I've 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 never really seen that kind of approach before oh that's a good point yes no that, that's great so they told the joke by telling a story a narrative yeah it, I like that too. it reminded me a little bit of uh, Arrested Development actually mm-hmm. the way you have the narrator set up a joke or say the joke or something like that. And then there were a couple points in this sketch where the narrator said a line and then the character immediately repeated that line in the scene that they were in. And so I really enjoyed that kind of setup and payoff. And the same, I thought they did a great job with the way you could have the narrators talking and setting one another up for jokes. And it's kind of... Uh, that sort of... The the classic, I think, um, Arrested Development example is character says something, narrator... He wasn't, or mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. No, exactly. Uh, Seth, one of the things that Shoah pointed out about this sketch is that uh, you have women playing all the characters except for one, mm-hmm. the the man who is 
particularly who invents the diaper mm. that ends up becoming mainstream. Have you ever had to gender bend as an actor? And how do you go about that? And the other kind of broader question I want to talk about is would this sketch have worked if you had men playing all of the female roles? Okay. Um, first question, uh, sort of. Uh, I was Francis Flute in a production of Midsummer's Night's Dream, uh, Midsummer Night's Dream a while back. And uh, if you're not familiar with the show, Francis Flute is the one of the- play I was ever in. Uh, oh, there you go. Uh, he is Strangely one of the enough, uh, rude too. mechanicals. They put on the play within the play. Uh, and he plays Thisbe, who is a woman. So it's this sort of lampshaded, we are going to have a man playing a woman, but I was a man playing a man playing a woman in that. And then um, more recently, last August, uh, I was Madame Magnum in a sketch that we did, uh, but I believe I went more drag queen with that so as to try to offend um, uh, a lot of people. That was my that was my goal. I think we offended a lot of people with that sketch. I sure do. And... The broader question, could this sketch have been done? Would it have worked with two men playing a bunch, uh, playing all the women? Um, no, not this sketch, not this purpose. It works when I, I suppose Monty Python did it. Although, as we've talked about before, even they didn't have all men playing all the women. But when they're sort of playing nondescript, uh, clearly a parody of a middle-aged woman. Yeah, no no problem. But this is specifically for Women's History Month about women getting shafted and having men play that part would be, um, oh, I don't know, about as successful as that uh, Fox comedy show with um, Ann Coulter and um, all I could think of is Birch Barlow, but that's the that's the parody on The Simpsons. Uh, anyway, but yeah, it, it, it wouldn't have been done. It wouldn't have been good or wise. Yeah, I, don't, I actually don't even think that would fly in, in any kind Crush of... Limbaugh, there we go, yeah, sorry. In, in any kind of, uh, no matter the circumstances. No matter well, I think that that was kind of yeah. what I was thinking, like, have we reached a point where that just doesn't fly anymore, men playing women? Is there, st is there, still, a pr is there still interesting comedy to be mined from that? And I don't want to do, do, do a lot on this because that's not really the purpose of this sketch, um, but just the gender bending in this sketch made me think about that. I think we've reached a point where women can play men. And I think there's a lot about inequities in society where that is now appropriate. So, but, sorry, uh, please. Just, I don't know. You make a good point. So comedy is all about punching up. And so I think women can play men because you're punching up. The men are still, you know, they still have it better. And so women can play men because you're punching up. But now with men playing women, it's, you are punching down. Everyone knows it. It's more apparent. Unless... There's a real point to be made by playing a woman. You're right. I think in today's environment, if I were to see a sketch with a man playing a woman, I'd wonder why. Like, what is the reason? Is it worth it? And I can't even think of one in recent history. I've seen. Oh, okay, yeah. There's the Jamay one on HBO. So that's a man playing a woman, and that's funny. But that is that is about five years old. So I wonder if there's anything more recent. Can you guys think of anything? I mean, no. Yeah. <laughs> really, like I'm trying to think of, and I'm like coming up with. Uh, the Saturday Night, Live, Saturday Night Live View sketch where Keenan plays Star Jones. Uh, but that's years out of date at this point. It is, right. And on SNL, mm. to that point, like a lot of the women are playing men. Mm -hmm. And um, that's working. But I can't think. Well, like even if they were to make fun of Sarah Sanders, I don't. they haven't even gone the path of putting a man in the Sarah Sanders role to make fun of her. 
uh, one example uh, that our producer just gave me is Jimmy Fallon doing the two girls sketches uh, that they, it's a recurring sketch that they do where it's like two teenage girls who are kind of bantering together. Oh, okay. Uh, and it's him and the guest who is either female or male, both playing teenage girls. Um, so that is a, a good example of that still occurring. Oh, that's good. Um, I'm not sure if it's a good example of good comedy, but it's a good example of it still happening. <laughs> that was going to be my follow-up question. <laughs> yeah, I, I haven't seen it. I think it's one of those things that today we, we are more apt to look at that and go, okay, well, why isn't a woman playing a woman? Because there are plenty of women around who could do this stuff, and they tend to get overlooked for men. Like wh One of the things that will happen, certainly in the theatrical community, at a, at a certain level of theatrical community, you get a lot of shows that are gender-bent or gender-swapped entirely because there are way more women than there are roles for women. And not to go off on too much of a tangent, but I was talking to my wife about this the other day, and I was like, yeah, I, I rolled out of bed last year and I got two parts. I didn't really have to do much of an audition. I just sort of got them. Uh, that is not the experience that any of my uh, female friends have when they're auditioning, right? There's only like two, three roles, maybe if you're lucky in a show, and there's, you know, 40, 50 women auditioning, 10 roles for men, maybe 12, 15 go out. So, yeah. Let's, uh, let's go back to the sketch. I think that was an interesting conversation, but let's go back to the sketch. <laughs> let's talk about the poop prop in this sketch. I thought it was, honestly, when it first panned to the sketch, I thought it was chocolate. It seems very obviously chocolate. I feel like there wasn't much effort to make it look like not chocolate. But Julian, why do we love gross props? Like, why is poop still funny? Yeah, we actually, I, 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 I want to say we toyed with, we, we, we did have a poop sketch uh, for Bad Medicine. Um, we have food, at least two oh, yeah. that I can think of. And uh, food uh, baby, three, yeah. yeah. <laughs> food, food baby. I, I want, I want to say that we even toyed with even like actually showing the actual shit. And why, why is that funny? Is because like it's something that everyone does. Like and and but it's like still everyone's ashamed of it. So like seeing it is just like is in itself sort of it's 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 funny because like we're we're making fun of ourselves, right? I would say like the the, the messier the better, like. The, the uh, like the, um, you said it was like kind of like chocolatey, like liquidy. I would, oh, yeah, it looked like pudding. Oh yeah, I I, I would have made it like a, just like a a little chunkier. If I if 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 I that'd I'm be wincing note. as we go through yeah, this, and I know like, it's all fake and yeah, props, but it's yeah. still. I like I like I like the creamy texture, but I would just I would I would like to be a little chunkier. Are we talking about peanut butter? What happened? That's what I'm thinking. Like yeah, it like kind of like peanut butter. Peanut butter. Does maybe, anyone, maybe even peanut butter color. Yeah. Does anyone here know what baby poop looks like? I don't. Oh, it's usually it's. I, I think it's uh, it's like black and tarry more than adult poop. Is it compact or is it creamy? And uh, it's more. It's closer to yeah. that. It's not like a it, yeah, the um the solid. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 definitely like because you know they're eating like Gerber oh, food. Milk. So yeah, yes. yeah. Okay. So like it's it's going to be like uh it's 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 kind of it's kind of creamy, but yeah, definitely darker. I I, I think they just made it kind of that, that chocolatey color to, to for the, the for the camera to convey that it's that it's shit. And, um, and come no for the comedy, what, stay for the poop discussion. Well, right. And no matter what, it's it's always funny and gross when you have that moment where she takes the diaper and throws it in the guy's hair, shoves it in the guy's face. That's I think that's going to elicit like a, a wince laugh every time kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. And that's why I kind of wanted like a little more, a little more texture to it because uh, I think that would make that even funnier. Um, and and, and if, if it were the color of 
peanut butter, which shit sometimes is, I would I would love that. Or if it was green, babies also look. I, I'm talking about my sister. Sorry, Lisa. Um, <laughs> that sure her shit was like green most of the time. Sorry, Lisa. I hope she, she's never gonna listen to this. She's so about a matter. year younger than Julian. Um. <laughs> <laughs> she's never gonna listen to this, so it's fine. But her shit was like her shit was green mostly. Um, it's because like we, we fed her German food because she was born in Germany. Um, <laughs> And so like, I hope you kept that up throughout all of your lives that you all each only got the food of the country that you were born. <laughs> <laughs> I was also born in Germany, so my shit was also You can't be president? Great. I can't be president. Oh, wow. I can't donate blood either. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Uh Shoah, let's pivot again. We've talked about audiences before for sketches. We've talked about audiences in terms of race, in terms of class, but let's talk about audience in terms of gender. Is this sketch for men? for women? Or is that a bad question and it's not for a specific gender? I hope it's for both because it's an educational sketch. So it's meant to inform. And so um, it takes a different approach to educating. But I think the target is both men and women of all ages. So that having been said, gentlemen, did you feel like you could understand the sketch or were you like, oh, (laughs) oh, yeah, no, I mean that was it was it was a really funny way of looking at a, an incredibly frustrating and kind of uh, serious topic. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah I mean I, I've I've always, you know, sort of been the other. Uh so I totally got that. Like I I thought it was uh kind of universally acceptable. Like they they did in a way where like a, like anyone can kind of feel that kind of struggle because yeah. everyone's been like had their ideas stolen by someone or like that's a really good point. So the, the theme of the recurring sketch on this late night show is shafted. And that's it's great. It's someone everyone can identify with. And I don't know if we've talked about late night show sketches or sketch stylings before. Um, but they they do they have to be something that you can recreate, something that's simple and the concept is very clear. And this sketch is, it's very clear. Shafted is the title of all of them of this in the series. And so you always know it's about somebody getting denied what they were owed. And isn't that in some ways inherently phallic? Shafted? Oh, dear. Yes. Didn't even yes, pick up is. on that. Yes. Yeah. I don't know oh. if that was intentional or not. Oh, I you think? think I think oh, it, it probably, probably was. It was. That's very um, clever. Yeah. So, like, yeah. buy a dick. Yeah, like. Well, exactly. Yeah. Buy a dick. Just oh, man. One. Another no. layer I didn't see. That's really good. <laughs> oh, I'm so mad a man had to point that out to me. There were, <laughs> there were well, we think about our penises all the time. I'm very disappointed. A white, there are times where, like, a white person, like, you know, I'll be in a situation and, like, someone will say something and they'll be like, oh, my God, Grandpa, stop. Are you serious? I'm so sorry, Julian. It's a different <laughs> time. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> fuck that. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to point out uh, there were because uh, we probably don't have time to go into like detail, but there were a number of little touches in this sketch that didn't need to be there, didn't actually stem from the central idea, but were absolutely hilarious when they showed up. I think the hair flip uh, was just the dramatic hair flip that uh, each of the um, each of the narrators slash actresses did was fantastic. Yeah. The other thing, which I thought was really interesting talking about audience, sort of a reminder that although we are telling this story uh, of this woman as victim of sexism, there's a reminder that we can't always, I, I don't know, we can't always put uh, folks that we tell these stories about up on pedestals because there is a moment at one point yes. where her character, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, is uh, There's a scene in like the 50s or 60s where a, a black 
woman puts her hand on the white character's shoulder and there's like a five seconds of the white character looking really uncomfortable. Yeah, that. she like sort of looks at her shoulder like, oh, you see, I'm going to have to wash that now. Kind yeah, like, yeah, <laughs> there was a little of that. So it was that was a nice reminder that we didn't go all the way towards, oh, yes, she's the hero and completely wronged and was a great special cinnamon roll. That's a good point. That's a good point. Sure, do you have any final thoughts on this sketch? Um, I just... I really like Desi Lydic and Dolce Sloan. Uh, keep an eye on them. I think they're uh, just such a treat. Yeah. And then also just Trevor Noah for, you know, recognizing these actors as well and bringing them onto his team. I, I think The Daily Show has been fantastic over the years, and I love it right now. This podcast is brought to you by the sketch comedy troupe Bad Medicine, DC's best sketch comedy about the worst of humanity. Visit badmedicinecomedy.com for info about live shows, workshops, and t-shirts for people who love comedy. Our second sketch today comes to us from Julian. Julian, what do you have for us? Yeah, um, so I uh, have a sketch. The sketch I brought is from Melinda Hill and Kristen Wiig. It's called Confessions of a Tooth Fairy. Um, It's a sketch that was part of their sketch review for the Groundlings Theater. Uh, This is before uh, Kristen Wiig's SNL days. And um, the sketch centers around two tooth fairies who make some personal confessions. Here's a clip. All right, Julian, why did you bring that sketch to us today? Um, I brought it because, like, I it, it just kind of goes against everything that I've sort of learned and all like all of my like kind of sketch instincts, uh, because it feels it feels very thin, right, on on surface level. Like it, they we we don't know where they are really. Like we we kind of discern a little bit that they're maybe like at a some sort of uh, way station or some kind of. Uh, room where they're just waiting to go out as tooth fairies, uh, where they're called up. And um, also, um, we don't really know anything about the world that they sort of occupy, but it's still really funny. What do you guys think? Does it, does it like, does it work for you? And does it, more importantly, does it work on the page? Like if you, if you were to see this cold read in a writer's room, what would you say? That's a great question. So I would like it as a cold read in a writer's room because it does everything the sketch needs to do. So it has the setup where you it's very clear right away who they are, and then it has the jokes. So sometimes I leave the teeth, or sometimes I, I don't want to touch it. And so actually my bigger problem was with the performance. I thought, you know, if I saw this in a writer's room, I'd be like, oh, this is hilarious. Um, and I bet people could deliver this in a really funny way. Oh, wow. So, so like yeah. that, I thought the opposite. Like I thought the performance is really great and like the – the writing, while it was definitely good, I thought like I, like my my first note would be like this is thin, and that, that's that's kind of a note I always give, like where it's like we introduce a concept that was not fully explored, or like we don't the like it, it doesn't really like heighten to anything, or we don't know what's like 
like what the what the consequences are for the character. Oh, okay, that's a good point. So it does. You didn't think it heightened. So I thought the heightening was that she that they're just bad at being tooth fairies. Yeah, well, and then it, it's the three things they each do. Yeah, to be bad. I thought I thought I thought those were just kind of like th- th- those were definitely those were definitely beats. Oh, I'm sorry. And I'm sorry. I, I I think it was like the whole thing was one beat for me. Mm-hmm. And what heightened was like their internal struggle oh, like about about it. what they yeah about what what they actually do. The, it, it it didn't heighten the the game of the sketch, but it it just made things more real for the characters. But it, then isn't that the game then? Maybe the game is not then the things that they're doing, but the game is their emotional beats. Uh, yeah, I would I would have to say that I would take this as a I, I'd have to say it has three beats. It, it's got baseline. It's got initial confession. I do this. I do this, and then secondary confession. I also do this. I also do this. I would also say, given what we just started talking about, I don't think it's thin. I just think it's simple and there's not, like, if you try to dig any deeper, you're not going to get anywhere, but that doesn't make it thin. That just makes it sort of um, sort of surface level. And it doesn't go on long enough to need to be deeper. Right, and I think that's an important thing to remember when you're in the editing room um, and kind of talking over sketches is the variety of styles. There are a lot of different kind of like writing templates for plays, for sketches, for movies. And those templates are great. But I think anytime we rely on them too much, it creates problems where you then shut out ideas that are still good, but antithetical to the structure that you have in your head. Right. More voice. Right. Exactly. Exactly. People's voices are like, you know, Robert Smigel and Conan O'Brien are both very, very funny comedians who have very different voices. Yeah. Um, and Conan O'Brien, if you had the two of them in the writer's room presenting sketches, they might want to tear the other person's sketch down being like, no, this doesn't work. This doesn't work. This doesn't work. But then you, there's a, such a variety in your audience often that if the sketch is structurally sound, which this one is, and there are jokes in it, which this one has, then – I tend to think it's worth doing. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's going to be, I don't think it's going to wind up on anybody's top 100 uh, list of masterpiece sketches. But I think Wait till AFI does that one. That's, I I cannot wait. Uh, That's going to be Ackerman's chance to come back on and get another show. Um, But I, uh, I, I think it does what it, it's, it's written to do. Yeah, it's, it's definitely one of my favorite sketches. And because and that, you're it, wrong, Seth. I know it's on Julian's it just, list. But it's like, on Julian's it, list. But it's it's just like I like everything I'm saying. I know that I'm wrong in this sketch, mm-hmm. and that's why I love it so much. Like why why like why does she keep them? Like why does Melinda Hill keep the money? And what does she use it for? Tooth why, why don't they get paid? Yeah. They don't get paid a whole lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's going to happen if they if they find out who's they? And what's going to happen if they find out? Like it, so, it it just it just creates this world that's really interesting that we don't get to play with, and they do just enough to tease you with it, and like you like you enjoy the sketch, but like just like all my writing instincts are kind of just like hit a wall because like this sketch is so funny, but like I I just want I just want to do I just want to do stuff with it, you know. I think that's the idea of leave them wanting more. Yeah, like you always want you always want what's next. Uh, let's talk about action in this sketch. It's two people that are seated mm-hmm. until the last 30 seconds of it. Show, is there a way 
that they could have added more action? And is that something that falls on the writer or the director or the actors to kind of bring movement into a sketch? Well, somebody pointed out, I can't remember who, that one of the games in this is admitting their faults. And so they feel guilty about it in a casual conversation. Julian pointed it out. So in that case, because it's about admitting their faults, their actions are consistent with that in that when you're admitting something, you're doing it subtly and quietly and you're whispering it. So it was true to character and true to theme for them to not have a lot of action. And it helps with the pauses and the delivery. Um, it, it helps with the comedic timing, too, for them not to be moving around and for the audience to be focused on what their words are. Yeah, it's also a, a piece in a pod sketch where they both have the same sort of perspective. And they quite literally sit right next to each other, which I thought was really cool. Wear yeah. the same clothes. Yeah. 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 Similar hair. Weird hair. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Similar weird hair. Which was uh, the same dialect. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Shrill and sort of Italian. That was. Well, let's talk about silly voices. Okay. You know, when you're crafting a character that's weird, one of the first places you can start is the voice. Seth, why is that? I find that it, it gives me a sense of character if I know what they sound like. Um, I've also definitely looked at things and gone, okay, this person needs to have a non-standard voice. This person needs to sound this way. And I will also be the first one to admit that I perhaps rely too much on silly voices just because I think they're funny. I, I, I think that there are many, many, not all, but many sketches that can be improved if somebody's got a silly voice. Absolutely. So I am so jealous of people who can do silly voices and carry it. So if you have that talent, use it. That's great that you do it. Seth, I've seen you and stuff. It's amazing. It changes a sketch and it makes up for writing in, in many cases. Thanks for so. saving our sketches. <laughs> That's right. That's oh, what I do. I don't do that at all. That is not, not true. It just, But it does add an extra layer of something. Like when you and Julian were talking before about uh, what makes this a performance of the writing. I will say that, honestly, it took me a little bit to get okay with the voices. They were a little bit off-putting at first. But if you're doing a Tooth Fairy sketch, there's pretty much three ways you can do it. You can do it the normal way. We're going to assume that Tooth Fairies are actual normal people and they have normal voices. Okay, might not get anything, might not lose anything. You can do it this way, give them the voices that people expect. We expect Tooth Fairies to have probably higher voices, a little bit weird. The Italian isn't necessarily... an. Uh, um, something we expect, but it's a nice touch. Or you can go the opposite way and give them a voice that absolutely nobody is going to affect and get the comedy out of the unexpected there. Like yeah, if they'd both... <laughs> yeah, if they'd both been like, hey, we're the Tooth Fairies, how you doing? You know, that would have been, you know, kind of an obvious uh, unexpected thing, but it still would have added a different layer. What's cool about the shrill voices for me is that like when they start talking about like their real like internal struggle with their jobs, like where... Kristen Wiig is like, well, what if they find out? And she's like, I know. Melinda yeah. Hill's like, I know. So, you know, that, that, it, it's those moments. Or like when Melinda Hill, and I've, first of all, Melinda Hill fucking kills this role. Like, kills this part. It, it's amazing what she does. Um, but when, at, at the at the end, when she gets up and she's like, okay, I'm going to leave the money. And, and Kristen Wiig's like, wait, what's what's wrong, Trixie? And she's like, I, I know I'm, gonna, she's crying. And she's like, I know I'm going to keep the money. Her voice, like the, her, the, the shrill, like kind of sweetness of the voice, it, for me, it just kind of heightens that emotion. Yeah. It gives her more, uh, more range to play with when she, when she uses that vocal quality, it, it adds uh, an emphasis that you wouldn't get if you were using a normal voice. Uh, by the way, since you brought this up, I love the fact that her name is, Tric is Trixie and that Krista Wiggs' character is Feruza. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's like, okay, Trixie the Pixie, yeah, okay, we get that. Feruza. Like Feruza Balk from the craft? What's happening? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think one of the things with the voices that they do so well is that they stay intelligible the whole time. And oh, yeah. so often with a big voice choice like that, it's really hard to stay understandable. And I know, like, you know, if I'm working on writing something or directing something, that's so often what you're working through the actor with is like finding a consistent, understandable voice. Yeah. That calls for a voice. And there's definitely dialects that are funnier or more attractive that you can't actually do all the way because to truly replicate that dialect means you'd be unintelligible for most of your audience. And I mean, sometimes that's funny, like since I just mentioned Feruza Balk, uh, Farmer Fran and the Water Boy, but that's, you know, he's supposed to be unintelligible. If you, if you have something that requires wordplay, you can't use one of those dialects. Exactly. The opening lines of this sketch set up the rules of the world. It's you take the tooth, you leave the money. Because the children like the money. Exactly. And show when you're writing, is it good to get the rules of the world out there as soon as possible? Or is that something that is sometimes better to hold close to the vest? That's a great question. And I like to get the rules of the world out there right away just because there's no reason to keep it from the audience. So whether it's with a visual cue or something in the dialogue, people want to know where they are. They don't want to be tricked or anything. And if you only have two minutes, um, unless there's a reason to keep where they are a secret from them, it's normally safer just to put the rules out there and now you can play with the rules. How about you? Yeah, no, normally rules are, the rules of the world are part of the game or they're just, a, they're a, they're a, a byproduct of, of your comedic idea. So like getting them out there along with getting your game out there as soon as possible is, is um, kind of what you need to do. But also we've seen sketches where it, we, like, we, we actually don't get to the comedic idea and the rules until like halfway through the sketch and it still kind of works. It really depends on the sketch. Mm -hmm. uh, also, um, to bring back something that we talked about last episode, and if you haven't listened to it, you can download it on iTunes, SoundCloud, and wherever you get your podcasts. Like the, uh, nice. Yeah, just, nice. Yeah, yeah, Shameless. Yeah. yeah, I'm just saying. Look, it's, it's our show. I can plug our show on our show, right? The With Bob and David sketch we talked about, the rules are set up visually. It's, a in, it's an interrogation room. There's a cop. There's a little bit of verbal stuff where it's the good cop, bad cop, but it's very light. It's not explicitly addressed, unlike in this sketch where it is explicitly addressed, right? You leave the tooth, you take the tooth, you leave the money, right? But there are some sketches where it's not, you don't necessarily have to have the rules of the world. It, it really just depends on what you're writing and what you want to do with it. Well, I think that kind of brings me to another question I thought about this sketch, and I think rules of the world enter into it. Is this a sketch that's more about premise or more about character? I tend to think that you can divide most sketches into those two categories, and I think rules of the world are important to establish in premise sketches and less important in character sketches. But what do you all think? Is this a premise sketch, a character sketch, or is that a bad way to think about this sketch or sketches in general? Well, um, people at Groundlings would, would agree with you uh, because they build their characters first. You give a character perspective or you give them like a, a quirk or something like that, and then you put them in situations where we can see that played out. And Groundlings, they kind of built a whole curriculum on just that. Another thing I, I note I would give is like maybe the setup is too long because they, they, they do set it, they, they say like maybe twice, I think, right? Like you take the, take the tooth and leave the money. Um, but like that's just a, that's a character thing. 
and they're establishing their characters. That's a that's a Groundlings thing. Um, it's it's honestly uh, really similar to the debate that we used to have in grad school about plot versus character. And I think honestly, it's a little bit limiting to accept that as the whole of uh, literature, or in this case, premise of character sketch, because very definitely sometimes the character is the premise. Key rock, right? That the character is the premise. You don't have a show without the unfrozen caveman lawyer, um, any way you want to slice it. it uh, this, I'm going to have to go with character because that's what we've talked about. I mean, the premise is two tooth fairies who are bad at their jobs, but the entire, the comedy of the sketch comes through watching these characters admit to each other how bad they are at their jobs. Interesting. Yeah, so it's funny that you separate the two. I don't think I'd ever be able to look at a sketch and say it's only a character sketch or only a premise sketch because they go hand in hand. Oh, it's funny because I see, I divide almost every sketch I see into either a character pre- sketch or a premise sketch. And I can, I'm, I'm kind of in the middle. I'm Switzerland on this one um, because I, cause I do recognize character sketches and I do recognize premise sketches. I mostly write premise sketches. Um, and I mostly write character sketches. Yeah, it's it's just like so. Is the character the joke, or is the the world the comedic idea the joke? For this one, the characters are like like Seth said. The the characters are more the joke, and so like the characters are creating the comedic idea. They're 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 the ones that are creating comedy, and and so like you could say like well, don't characters create the comedy in a premise sketch too? They serve the comedic idea in a premise. So in this case. I, the characters are strong, but I think this sketch could have still been funny if the characters were totally different characters. So if it was, um, if they were more rough around the edges, tooth fairies, like, hey, yo, sometimes I take the money. Like, that's the best Bronx was, accent was that I've ever heard. That show of being rough around the edges. Yeah. There's, a, there's a lot of, I think there's a great deal of comic potential if you do the same sketch, but it's the tooth fairy uh the Tooth Fairy organization is a mafia organization, right? And that's where you get, sometimes they take the money, you know, like that kind of thing. So, Oh, and I guess that would still be a character sketch then, right? Because now it's funny because this character is acting in this way. All right, yeah. I'm sold. <laughs> yes. I, 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 I think that like, um, they're like, they're kind of fairy godmothery. So like, I, for me, I'd be like, if the way that I would track this sketch would be like, if they were fairy godparents and they were shitty fairy godparents, but because like they're they're like they're pre they're predisposed to like do good, right? They're supposed to be nice and fairies. You know, fairies are supposed to be like nice and fluffy and and airy and all that stuff like that. So like to see them kind of struggle internally with their own desires is funny. So like if they were like mobsters or whatever, they're inherently bad, right? That's a di- that's a whole different like that's a whole different game in which like. It'd be funny if they were mobsters and they're trying to be good. Well, I mean, they're Robert Asprin, who was a science fiction author, had a long-running series in which a minor character was Don Bruce, the fairy godfather. He would make you an offer you couldn't refuse, and then grant you wish. <laughs> that's a great, it's a great bit. Uh, Julian, do you have any final thoughts on this sketch? Uh, yeah, um, I just I love this sketch because like it really just throws a fucking curveball at me in terms of like my comedic style and what I've been learned and what my comedy instincts are. And that, that's why I love it so much. All right, it's time to wrap up the show. Showa, as the guest, could you come up with a rating system for us to judge the sketches that we talked about today? 
Yes. I um I love the concept of tooth fairies and I kind of miss it as an adult. The only teeth that I'm gonna lose are my wisdom teeth, so I'd like to use wisdom teeth as rating. Oh, okay. So it's a scale of either zero, two, or four. Right. Should I go ahead and share some? Please, yeah, start. I give shafted four wisdom teeth. It is clever, it is informative, and it is beautifully produced. I like that. Seth? Well, Brandon had to pull a Julian on this one. Oh. <laughs> That's right. I'm going to give shafted the... Uh, How many N-words? Uh, no. <laughs> no, I will never use that as a rating system. Oh, my goodness. Uh, just, uh, just when I'm alone in the shower. Nope. <laughs> Uh, I'm not sure what you think white people do, Julian. I think everyone, I think all white people like think the N-word. I don't know. Is that, is that? No. 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 Well, show you're not white, though. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? It's true. Okay. <laughs> Seth right. doesn't but believe her. With the uh, scale. The scale, yes. Uh, I'm going to give it the, uh, the full uh, compliment, the 32 teeth of Dalvernar. What's that? That is an artifact from several editions of Dungeons and & Dragons, and the fact that I'm going that deep cut on the nerd means I really like Shafted. All right. Uh, I would give it three wisdom teeth. Going because deep on Shafted? Yeah, you cool. heard me. Yeah. I'd give it three wisdom teeth because due to poor dentistry on the part of my dentist, I had my wisdom teeth removed one at a time, different dental appointments. It went very poorly and was very painful. You're supposed to take out at least two. Yeah, I know what they're supposed to do, <laughs> Seth. Uh, but that's not what they did. It was I should have known something was wrong when the dentist introduced himself as the new dentist. <laughs> and then at one point, while we were about 45 minutes into him trying to get the first tooth out, I'm with it. No gas, only local numbing. And at one point, I'm looking up with my mouth open, and the guy wipes sweat off his brow and goes, hmm. I was very concerned. Did you swallow a tooth? Are you the person who did that? Uh, no, I did have a fragment of that tooth break off into my gums and have to emerge from my gums. It was a very weird experience. Julian, how many teeth would you give this first sketch? I, lo I love dentist stories. <laughs> I hate them so, so much. They're like pooping stories. Everyone has them. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, all my teeth are wisdom teeth because I'm so wise um so i'm gonna Doesn't give it, answer the question so i'm gonna give this sketch um 30 there's 32 teeth right i'm like a shark i have like 90 teeth so i'm gonna give it um 90 teeth 90 wisdom teeth and um <laughs> because i i i i think it's i think it's fun uh it's it's really quick and and uh the, the pacing is really good and the acting is really good um i love the the setup punchline that uh, delivery of it. Yeah, 90 shark teeth, wisdom teeth. From the mouth of Julian. From the, From mouth, the mouth of, of Julian. Julian. All right, and now for the uh, Tooth Fairy sketch. Uh, Seth, how many teeth would you give, wisdom teeth, would you give the Tooth Fairy sketch? Uh, to keep myself within the framework of this scale, uh, I'm going to give it the two that I no longer have. Um, is that a positive thing or a negative thing? It is a positive thing. Uh, they're out. It was not particularly painful. And while in some ways I was sad to see them go, I knew they needed to leave. I understand. And go on to better careers. Shoa, how many wisdom teeth would you give the Tooth Fairy sketch? Yeah, you know, I'm actually counting my wisdom teeth right now. Just I think I have two in. 
Um, and I would give those two to the Tooth Fairy as well. I love how original the concept of this sketch is. It's so rare to see a sketch where it just, you haven't seen something like it before. And in this case, it was. It was a bright new concept, for me at least. And so I would give it my two wisdom teeth. Very nice. And Julian, how many teeth would you give this sketch? I would give it 4,000 of my wisdom shark teeth because, like Joe said, it's it's an original. It's so original. And On or off a necklace? <laughs> <laughs> On a on on the necklace of a um of, of a douchey surfer dude. Okay, good, good, good. That's or, the only place it's appropriate. Or on the neck of like a Tom Hanks kind of castaway character. No, on a Wilson character. <laughs> the one we love most about that movie. Yes. Who did not get any awards. Fuck Tom Hanks. Um so no, I think he took a gold in men's beach volleyball. That's not <laughs> Oh, it's uh, so time to end the show. Uh, <laughs> I, but yeah, because also it just like, it sets up a world that I just, I want to see more of. I get it. All right. And for this one, I would give it uh, two wisdom teeth. Uh, I thought it was funny. I was turned off in the video by how much laughing that there was because the laughing did not seem to me to match the level of humor. I thought it was funny. I did not think it was cackle through the whole thing funny, like clearly half the audience did. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Sketch Nerds. A special thanks to our guest, Shoa Appleman, for being on today's show. Shoa, do you have anything you want to plug? Yes, I have two things I'd like to plug. One is um, this is a Bad Medicine podcast, and Bad Medicine teaches sketch writing classes in Washington, D.C. at the Unified Scene Theater. So check out the website for class times. It's great. We get good reviews. Um, and if you ever wanted to dive into sketch writing, it's a great place to start. Or if you wanted to hone your sketch writing skills, it's a great place to go. Good to know. Yes. And also, um, we've mentioned First Female Bank Robber before. www.femalebankrobber.com to catch all the episodes. And um, have a great Well, thanks, Shoa. Listeners, please like, share, and subscribe. If you have a sketch you're interested in us breaking down, please send it to us. We'd love to do that. You can find out more about Sketch Nerds and Bad Medicine at badmedicinecomedy.com slash sketchnerds where you can also find links to the sketches that we discussed today. You can find this podcast and previous episodes wherever you get your podcasts. For Shoah Appleman, Seth Alcorn, and Julian Morgan, I'm Andy Weld. Thanks for listening to Sketch Nerds. This episode was produced by Isaiah Hedden and recorded in Washington, D.C. The closing music tracks were provided by SoundtrackForEverything.com. All clips in this podcast were used in compliance with the U.S. Copyrights Act, Fair Use Exemption, for criticism and commentary. The Sketch Nerds podcast is brought to you by the sketch comedy group Bad Medicine, DC's best sketch comedy about the worst of humanity. For showtimes, videos, and funny t-shirts, please visit badmedicinecomedy.com.